So it's that time of year, right? Advent, Christmas. We started doing Advent, I don't know, six or seven years ago now, I guess. Maybe more than that. I guess it was before Asa. So it's been, we hadn't done it before then, but we've done it every year since then. And if you're not familiar with Advent, it's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. You light four candles, one each Sunday, and then the center candle, which we won't get to light here, is the Christ candle that you light uh, on Christmas Day. And it's about building anticipation, expectation. And this first candle that we lit, each candle signifies something um, specific. And this candle that we lit this morning, our first candle, the first week, is the hope candle. And this candle denotes the hope that is bound up in the coming of Christ, both His first and His second coming. One that has happened, one that will happen. And we're going to discuss these two things quite a bit today, His first and His second coming. But I I want to start off with a thought uh, that's pertinent, especially pertinent around this candle, this day, um, this season. Anybody ever anticipated somebody coming in for Christmas? Or maybe you've been the person who was coming in for Christmas and there's anticipation. Maybe a a family member, a friend, maybe whom you haven't seen in a long time and you just can't wait until they get onto your front porch, into your living room. Maybe the kids have watched out the window looking for their headlights to turn the curve just before your house. There they are, there they are, there they are. Or you've texted them six times to see where they're at over the last two hours to get updates. And you rolled your eyes and you huffed and puffed when they stopped and got gas because that's seven more minutes that it's going to be until they get there, right? How selfish of people to stop and get gas, right? But anticipation is such a weird thing. Such a strange thing. There's joy in it and there's pain in it. There's excitement and there's the, oh, is this ever going to happen mindset too. I think we both love and hate the wait. I would guess a lot of you have stories that you could tell me about people You just couldn't wait to see either at Christmas or at some other point in your life. You had the date marked off on your calendar. You counted down the days. And you waited for what seemed like forever until you finally, finally got to see that person or those people that you had waited for. Maybe it was an event, a vacation, a trip, something. Well, I think that Christmas Advent should make us feel that way. More than any other time of year. And I think that Christmas and Advent should make us feel that way about Jesus. You know, He who came, right? And He who is coming again. He who was the most anticipated of all men when He arrived as a baby in Bethlehem. And He who is now, samely, the most anticipated of all men who is coming back to earth to reign and to rule for all eternity. So I want to ask you, anybody anticipating? Anybody hoping? Anybody excited to see Jesus? I mean, like, see Him. Because He's coming. One day the headlights are going to turn the last curve. And there He is. Well, that's our topic today as we turn our hearts and minds to, to the Word of God and hopefully so much of what is said this morning is His Word and not mine. And we're going to start, the, the, the upfront passages are actually a passage from the Old Testament and the New Testament, kind of like our public reading. And the first is going to be a prophecy that foretells the first coming of Jesus and the second is a word that foretells the second coming of Jesus. So if you would, please stand for the public reading these two passages. The first is Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. The second is 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 
through 18. So the first passage, a prophecy of the first coming of Christ that is fulfilled in the second coming of Christ, and then the second, a prophecy of the coming, the second coming only. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And from the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God." And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe this morning that you came the first time. And we believe that you are coming again. I pray that through your word, through this time together as we focus on your word, that you would build in us an excitement, an anticipation, a hope that overwhelms and overcomes all of our grief, all of our striving, all of our hurting, all of our waiting. Make yourself real to us, Jesus. And may we look forward to seeing you face to face. Help us by the power of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? So, I want to start this journey through the Word this morning. And I I want us to think about how anticipated the Messiah was in the Jewish mind. Now on this side of the cross, at this point of history, in this ethnic and religious setting that we're in, we have no idea how much a Jewish person would have been looking forward to the arrival of the Messiah. The Messiah is the anointed one, the coming king of the Jewish people. And from what we saw there in Daniel, not just the Jewish people, but the entire world. In those days... That day, the day of the Messiah, the day of the Lord, was the most hotly anticipated event in the future. And so much of that anticipation is based on the history of the nation of Israel. So we're going to walk with them quickly through their history. The people and nation of Israel had known many trials, tribulations, dispersions, and deliverances over their rich and rocky history. Born out of the promise of God to a nomad and his barren wife, the family of Abraham grew from the child of promise, Isaac, to an ever-growing family of the twelve sons and one daughter of Jacob, who would be renamed Israel by God Himself. Seventy people fled to Egypt to be provided for during a famine and would stay there in Egypt 400 plus years, growing in numbers and then enslaved out of the fear of their rulers who saw that growth as a threat. And while the numbers are all over the place, well over a million of Abraham's descendants left Egypt during the Exodus, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience to their God. But God would bring these Israelites into the promised land of Israel and would empower them to conquer the land and live there as His people, living under His law and making His kingdom visible to the nations around them. After judges delivered them from many oppressors over many years, the Israelites called out for a king, which God gave them in the person of Saul. David succeeded Saul and Solomon succeeded David. And we've been talking about this a lot on Wednesday nights. Then the kingdom of Israel was divided into two nations, becoming Israel in the north and Judah in the south. 
rule both kingdoms ruled by some good but mostly bad kings. In 722 BC, the Assyrians came and wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel, taking most of the inhabitants of the ten tribes of that land into exile to the land of Israel. If you've ever heard the statement or the phrase, the lost tribes of Israel, there they go. The northern ten tribes were taken into into captivity, into exile by the Assyrians. And they disappeared, basically. Culturally, they disappeared. They left the poorest, the Assyrians did, left the poorest and the weakest. And Judah alone was was left as one nation, as the people of God in the land of God. But then, in 586 B.C., the Babylonians would conquer Judah, and the people of God were no longer the kingdom of God in the land of God. Yet through all this conquering and exiling, God made promises. And here's what we want to focus on this morning. God made promises of a time in the future when His people would be called from the ends of the earth and God would send Israel a new forever king, the Messiah. Now, imagine being the poorest and the weakest, those left in the land of promise, mixed in with the nations that had conquered you. You would want to be pure Israel again. You would want to be delivered. And then imagine being in exile away from the land that God had promised Abraham's posterity and how much you would want to be back there living under the blessing and reign of God Himself. Imagine how much you would want to see the day of the Lord, the reign and rule of God's Messiah for God's glory and for your good. And then imagine reading or hearing these words from the prophets of God. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he come to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You would want to be a part of that kingdom. You would want to serve that king and you would want him to come quickly. The psalmist said, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. In the captivity of your enemies, these words are exciting. These words are anticipatory. These words are your hope. Familiar Christmas passage, right? But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, Isaiah says. Isaiah 9, 1-7. through In the former time He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time... He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. We've got to wait for it to show up. For the yoke of... His burden and the staff for His shoulder, the rod of His oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And again, we sit on this side of the cross and say amen to that because we know it happened. But imagine being on the other side and being a Jewish exile, a Jewish captive, or a Jew who had come back to the promised land to try to rebuild the ruins like what we saw in Ezra and Nehemiah. And you look at the land around you and you're going, I don't think this is it. God, would you do something more? Would you do something different? Would you send the Messiah? God, will you please send Him now? 
our waiting, our longing, our expectation is waning. And then you read these promises, and if you're an Israelite, they are promises of the one coming, the one, capital O, one, who would be given everlasting dominion over all the kingdoms of the earth, one who would make all your enemies his footstool, one who would rid you of gloom and anguish, who would be a great light, who would multiply your nation, increase your joy, break the rod of the oppressor, have the weight of the government on his shoulders of an ever-increasing kingdom, who would be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace from this time forth and forevermore. As a Jew, would you not be looking forward to this person and his kingdom? after being handed over from age to age and kingdom to kingdom like so many ragdolls from Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and then the cruel Romans, wouldn't you be looking to God to send His King to deliver His people? How long, O Lord? How long until you deliver your people and vindicate your great name and begin your forever reign? Send Him! Send Him, please! Send Him now! And false messiahs would come and go, starting their revolutions and promising freedom and peace for God's people and they would fall and they would be captured and they would die and the hopes of the people of God would ebb and flow, shrink and grow, come and go in endless cycles for generations upon generations. But the promise of God's Messiah still stood unfulfilled, longed for, desired, anticipated and hoped in. And we sang this morning, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. I'm going to read the rest of the verse of this. There's eight verses of that song. I'm going to read the other seven. O come thou wisdom from on high, who orderest all things mightily. That doesn't rhyme, but... To us the path of knowledge show, and teach us in her ways to go. O come thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. O come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. O come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. O come, O come thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and all. O come thou root of Jesse's tree and ensign of thy people be. Before thee rulers silent fall, all peoples on thy mercy call. O come, desire of nations bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad division cease and be thyself our King of peace. Rejoice. Rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. And he did but not exactly like they thought that He would. They were looking for a conquering warrior to crush enemies and retake thrones. But the Messiah came as a baby in a feeding trough, wrapped in rags and worshipped by shepherds. And He was basically life-flighted by His parents to Egypt escaping the death sentence of power-mad and paranoid Herod. And that's what we celebrate at this time of year. Now we've gloried it up. We've cleaned it up and it's pretty, isn't it? But it wasn't. It wasn't pretty. Andrew Peterson has a song on Behold the Lamb of God. It was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyway that night on the streets of David's town. It was scary. It was weird. It was dark. And they missed it. By and large, they missed it. 
And while we remember it with so much joy and pomp and circumstance, so many of those who were eagerly expecting their Messiah missed Him. They had latched on to the prophecies of the warrior king, which will be fulfilled too. But they missed the parts that didn't scream of their prosperity. The parts that foretold of obscurity and meekness and servanthood and suffering and death. And I'm afraid I'd have missed him too. But we take this time of year to remember and thank God for coming, for sending Jesus as that baby, God in the flesh, sent to live, die, then live again, and we celebrate, as we well should. But Advent is about more than just that first coming. It's also about anticipating, hoping in, waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And that's what we turn our attention to now. So let me ask you, honestly, openly, truthfully, how much are you anticipating Jesus coming back to the earth? And I'm not asking that question to beat you up. I'm asking you so that you'll evaluate yourself. We've got plans for Christmas. I've got plans for next weekend that I am hotly anticipating. Coldly anticipating, maybe. I got plans for the first of the year and what's going on next year. And when my kids graduate and move on, and when all the, I've got all these plans, where in my plans, in my anticipation, in my excitement, does the return of Jesus Christ fit? I'm afraid that we, like the Jews of the first century, may have lost our focus. And more than that, we've lost our hope in the Messiah's literal return to reign and rule upon the earth. But brothers and sisters, we need that hope today. And I hope to instill that hope in us through the Word as we finish this morning. And don't get too excited. I don't say finish as if you can shut your Bibles. We've got a lot of work to do here. So let's revisit the passage from 1 Thessalonians 4 that we started with. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians, and they, they're, if you read First and Second Thessalonians, they're really, really thinking about, they're really focused on Jesus coming back. And like they're asking questions like, what about people that have died? What's going to happen to them? Are they not going to get to partake in the return of the Lord? So he says this, I don't want you to, be, I don't want you to grieve about those who are asleep. Without hope. So, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. By the way, that's really good news. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, I want to pay special attention to verse 18 there. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What words? The words he just wrote. The words we just read. Words about Jesus literally returning and us being with Him always. Does that encourage you? The Lord Himself will descend. The dead will rise... Those who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now there's a whole lot of eschatological nuance there that we're not going to get into this morning. Are we just going to hang out in the air forever? And so we will always be with the Lord. I don't know what your past entailed. I don't know exactly what you're going through right now. 
But I know, Christian, what your future is. The end of the story is written. And it goes this way. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's encouraging. That's hope infusing. That's empowering. Encourage each other with these words. Always be with the Lord. With the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. Encourage one another with these words. Now why would that be encouraging? Are you encouraged at the thought of always being with the Lord once you're called to meet Him? Oh, it's a great thought. With Jesus, always with Him. Yeah, that'll be great, we think. Neato. If you go back to the 80s, you could say, Neato Skeeto, right? Nobody ever say Neato Skeeto? I did. Maybe I made that up. But it's kind of like a yay us moment, right? Yay us. But I think that's about as far as we get with it. I don't see or talk to many people who live with this truth as a reality. And I'm around mostly Christian people in my life. I mean, they would agree with me. Yep, yep, that's good. Yep. But is it like a nuclear reaction that sets off joy and hope in your heart? For most of us, I'd say it's not. Is it an empowering hope? I would say for most of us, it's probably not. And again, not to beat you up, I want to give you that hope this morning. I don't think it is an empowering hope to most of us because I think we're so caught up in the here and now. The present age is our reality. And so many times, most of the time I'm afraid, it overpowers and outweighs any hope for the future. Any hope we have for the future is more of an admission of defeat here, it feels like. Well, one day I'll get to go to heaven. And it's like we're resigning to that. As if to say, today's so bad, this life is so hard, I'm just hanging on till I'm dead. And then maybe, maybe, things will be better in heaven with Jesus. But brothers and sisters, the hope that we have is our fuel for now. The hope that we have, our anticipation of Jesus coming in the future is our power for now. Or we don't really know what it's about. Let me read a couple of things the Bible has to say about this. Titus 2, 11-14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good deeds. Now did you catch that? Verse 13 mentioned our blessed hope, which is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's great. Yay, Jesus is coming back. Jesus coming back is our blessed hope. But did you see what that's supposed to lead us to? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live now self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting For our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who just want to go to heaven. Who just want this mess to be over with so that we can always be with Jesus. No. To purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now. And what is the fuel that fuels these good works? It's our blessed hope. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming to reign and to rule upon the earth and we're always going to be with him. So work now. 
It motivates us, this passage does, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age and to be zealous for good works. Our hope for the future affects our present. And if it doesn't, we don't have a true hope in the future. You see, our hope of heaven, our hope of Jesus' return changes our now. It's not a resignation of things won't get any better, so I'll just hold on for heaven. No, it's an energizing hope that enlivens us now. And now moves us toward a future that is infinitely better than the present hope, as good as it is. C.S. Lewis said, for the Christian, the best is always up ahead. And don't be misinformed. I'm not saying pie in the sky by and by. I'm blessed and nothing can hurt me. Listen, I know the present is good because of our future hope and our present is also full of conflict and struggle. I'm not saying that we're not going to hurt or struggle or suffer in this present age. We know better than that. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit, knows better too. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The hope of Jesus' future return changes how we look at things now. I don't just look at the chair that's right in front of me and think, this is my ultimate reality. My senses tell me what's going on around me, what I see, smell, taste, hear, touch. True. But they can only take me so far. In the power of the Holy Spirit, I can look at my reality around me and see that God is preparing for me a weight of glory far beyond anything that I could think or imagine. And that struggles and sufferings and hurt and pain and disease and death do not ultimately define me. But Jesus does. And He's made it clear what that definition is. We're always with Him. And that gives me power for now. Paul also says it this way in Romans 8. Can't get through a message without Romans 8, right? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The certain return of Jesus gives me patience in my current sufferings. Yes, I may cry out, How long, O Lord? And then I'll turn around and say, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Rejoice! Rejoice! Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. You see, our struggle is constant. Our struggle is consistent. Things in our lives may or may not get better, quote unquote. But our hope, our expectation of eternal things, like we saw in 2 Corinthians, and our hope of all things being made right in the end, like we saw in Romans, gives us a perspective that affects every situation that we may be in or go through. And even our hardships just make us look more forward to the imminent return of Jesus which, as we've said, is our ultimate blessed hope. We should be those who are looking out the proverbial window, 
hoping to see the headlights turn the corner to our house, hoping to see the eastern sky split open and to hear that trump, to hear the voice of the archangel with the command, come up here. And so we will always be with the Lord. We should live with our eyes on the skies looking for our Lord to return to this world in bodily form again. Not as a baby this time, but as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Coming not to die this time, since death has no power over Him, but to make all things right. Jesus is coming to make all things right. And He's going to reign and rule in righteousness, peace, holiness, and justice forever. And that's true. But if you're like me, that all sounds good and fine, but the question is what? When? How long, O Lord? When will this happen? Well, that's really what should build our expectation. That question itself. Because ultimately, I don't know. I don't know how to spell that. I don't know. But it could literally be, from my biblical understanding, any moment. And if you've got a chart that tells me different, we can talk about it at lunch. But I believe biblically it could literally be any moment. It could be right now. It could be tomorrow before I wake up, before I open my eyes. It could be Christmas Eve. It could be New Year's Day. It could be 30 years, 60 years, 1,000 years. I don't know. You say, well, then how in the world is that supposed to help me be excited about Him coming back? Well, Paul's not done talking to the Thessalonians. He tells them in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not ordained us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, listen to this, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. The day of the Lord could come like a thief in the night, is coming like a thief in the night. You don't know when. So encourage each other. With that thought. When's Jesus coming? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm awake and I'm sober and I'm looking and I'm waiting and I'm hoping and I just can't wait until He gets here. Yeah, me too. (laughs) You start talking like that, people are going to think you're crazy. And maybe you are. But God has chosen the foolishness to confound the wisdom of the world. His wisdom is foolishness to us. It doesn't make sense to us. It's bigger than us. It's stronger than us. It's wider than us. It's it's, it's so much more than we can take in, and it sounds crazy. Start telling people, I'm looking to the skies waiting for Jesus to come back. They're like, we've got a a straitjacket with your name on it. You're like, I'm so excited, I can't stand it. Because Jesus is coming back. Everything that I read in this book is true. And Jesus is coming back. When? I don't know. Maybe right now. Nope. But He's coming. So we encourage each other with those words. Like a thief in the night. And again, note the encouragement for today. Jesus will come like a thief in the night. So live in such a way that it won't catch you off guard. Look for Him. Live for Him now. Expecting Him to come at any time, sooner, later, now, whenever. And I know deep in our hearts, if you're like me, 
And now you're thinking, I'm nothing like you. That's all right. I believe that there are those of us who really wonder if all this is real. Deep down. Really real. I mean, this whole thing, Jesus coming in the clouds, us meeting him in the air, us being with him forever. I mean, really? Dead people coming out of the tombs. I mean, really? Yeah. And you add to it the fact that people have been talking about this for 2,000 years now. You really have just lost your mind. I used to go to Pentecostal Church of God, and the guy said, if I'm crazy, just leave me alone because I'm too far gone for you to help me now. If you're wondering if this is really real, if it's going to happen, Peter's got some words for you. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, brothers. Yeah. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Because scoffers scoff. Scoffers can't do anything with scoff. When scoffers scoff, they're doing what scoffers do. Following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Anybody ever heard that before? For they deliberately overlooked this, this fact, that the heavens existed long ago when the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Sound familiar? And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn! Exclamation point. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and... Be at peace. And be at peace. Peter points to the past when he mentions the flood and then to the future when he says the heavens and the earth are now reserved for judgment by fire to point us to the surety of the return of Jesus. And then calls us to be people whose lives are marked by holiness and godliness. And then I love verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And he ends that passage by saying in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent now to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. Right now. Know the past. Look forward to the future and live right now in the hope and expectation that it could be right now. He could come right now. And if He doesn't come right now, He is coming. And all things will be made right. And we will be with Him forever. So change the way you're living right now. Live upright. Live godly lives. Live lives that are at peace. Knowing that all creation is groaning, you're groaning, our outer self is wasting away, but our inner man is being renewed day by day in the hope that one day all things are going to be made right. It's like watching a replay of a football game that you know your team wins. They're down 28 to nothing. It doesn't matter. I know how this ends. We win. And that gets me excited. That makes the hard times look a whole lot different because I know the end of the story. 
And the end of the story comes when Jesus comes back. And He's coming. Jesus is coming back. Jesus will return. That's the hope that we have. That is the blessed hope that changes everything that I'm looking at and going through right now. And I struggle with it. Peter said it. Paul said it. Mary said, oh no, that's different. Peter, Paul. And that's, that's enough because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. But let, let, me, let, me, let me close. Now we can almost get to the point where we close your Bible. Jesus Himself compels us to look for His coming as the canon of the Scriptures is closed in the last book of the Bible. Revelation tells the story of the end times with the Apostle John seeing the end before it ever begins. That's how God sees things. God lives outside of time. He created time. It's His creation. He's controlling it. In the last chapter of the Revelation, Jesus gives us three clear reminders of what we are to be expecting, what we are to be hoping in as we live our lives in the presence. I'm going to read Revelation 22, verses 7, 12, and 20. Jesus speaking, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he he has done. Verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. John adds under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, Come, Lord Jesus. Like a bride waiting for her groom, will be the church ready, waiting for you. Every heart longing for our King, we sing, even so, come. I want the verse, chorus, bridge, and refrain of our lives to be, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. What is your hope? Come, Lord Jesus. Why do you want to walk uprightly? Come, Lord Jesus. What is your hope this Advent season? Come, Lord Jesus. When does He say He's coming? Verse 7, I'm coming soon. Verse 12, I'm coming soon. Verse 20, surely I'm coming soon. Now that's pretty clear, right? He's like, but he said that 2,000 years ago. He lives outside of time. He doesn't play by your rules. And remember what Peter said? A thousand years is a day. Now that doesn't interpret literally, I don't think. So okay, so it's been like 1.78 days since Jesus. Don't, Don't do that. That's not what that's about. It's about God lives outside of time. And though it seems like it's been 2,000 years to us, He's barely yawned and stretched since it happened. God's timetable is not the same as ours. Our job is to look for, expect, and hope in Jesus coming soon. Soon. And that helps us, that changes us, that empowers us, and draws us closer to Him even as we wait for Him to return and restore all things to their designated state. Simple application point this morning. Remember the past, hope for the future, and live now. This Advent season, I hope that you build anticipation in your life and the life of your family and friends for the return of Jesus Christ. As you look back at a manger, at a baby, May it make you look forward to the reigning, ruling king who will split the skies open and with a voice of command say, come up here and be with me always. Christ has come. Christ is coming again. So both of those truths give me hope and empower me now.
O come, desire of nations bind, and one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad division cease, and be thyself our King of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. I want to finish reading the words of one of the songs that we sang this morning. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious Jesus is coming soon. Even so, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, you have given us these precious and sure promises to encourage us, to give us the fuel that we need to live now in such a way that all the world loves to see us burn. May we be the fire that draws the attention to you that you deserve. May we be the heralds who proclaim that Jesus is coming very soon. And may it give us hope and may it call the world to repentance. God, if there's anyone sitting here this morning who does not know you as their Savior, by the power of your Spirit, speak the word of command. Draw them to yourself. Give them new life. And may they in faith call out for salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ, the one who has come, the one who is coming, and the one we bid even now to come. Help us all to enjoy this life, these struggles, this world, this now, in hot anticipation of the day that you come back, Jesus. Change us. And may we walk in hope. We ask it in your name, Lord. Amen. Would you stand and receive a doxology that I'm not ready for? There it is. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will. Now, I added that, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. But stay and eat with us if you can.